Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 131. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. One of the most common characteristics of all my guests is that they are constantly investing in themselves with books. They're always learning, always reading, and I realize it's not easy to find the time to pick up a book and read, but with audiobooks, it's never been easier. You owe it to yourself to go to www.audibletrial.com slash unstoppable to get your free audiobook today. The number one recommended book on the show is Danny Myers setting the table. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, John Swire. John, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm ready to go, my man. I'm ready. Let's do this. <laughs> yes. All right. John Swire is the CEO of Chop Daddy's, a fast, casual, multi-unit barbecue concept in the greater Los Angeles area. Prior to opening Chop Daddy's, Swire acquired over 11 years of real estate experience as a top-performing broker for multiple firms. In addition to practicing real estate, Swire also teaches real estate at UCLA Extension. In 2014, Zagat named Chop Daddy's as a top 10 best new sandwich, and they've been called one of four barbecue chains catching fire in the nation. John, this is just a huge aerial view of who you are and what you're all about i'm gonna pass it over to you now to get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with the success quarter mantra that you kind of live by and apply to your day-to-day life so what do you have for us today well i mean probably one of the biggest things that i tell my my staff all the time and you know the juniors i i work with and i mentor is uh luck favors the prepared there's so many people who i interact with on a daily basis who are just not prepared either prepared for the meeting that they have right in front of them or prepared for the task at hand or the business plan that they want to execute. And it just boggles my mind. For example, if you're going to go meet with somebody, right, and you're asking them for something, spend a few minutes before you do that, get yourself prepared, Google that person, LinkedIn them, find out as much as you can about them. So when you show up in front of them and you're about to ask this person for something, you know who they are and what makes them tick. You know, nobody's ever failed because they've spent too much time preparing for something. Mm-hmm. I love it. It really reminds me of another quote I've heard that says, you know, the, the harder I work, the luckier I seem to get. And it's just one of those things that's like, you know, things just don't happen for you. You have to work for it. And that's kind of what I'm hearing with that quote of, you know, life favors the prepared people or the prepared person. It's awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that with us. So let's find out more about you. And I mean, you kind of have a unique backstory in comparison to some of my other guests, because it looks like you really got into the restaurant industry first with focusing on real estate. So, I mean, at what point did you decide to uh, really get into the restaurant industry? And when did you know that it was going to be a part of your career? Like, what is it about the industry that you really are drawn to? Well, first of all, I'm not a restaurateur. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a business person. Um, I've never worked in the restaurant industry in any capacity until I opened up Chop Daddy's in uh, July of 2013. And I really didn't want to be in the restaurant business. I've been in the real estate business for years, and I still make a lot of my money selling apartment buildings. Um, I tell people that's what pays for my chop daddy's habit right now. 
Mm -hmm. Um, Our goal is to expand Chop Daddies to uh, 10 to 15 locations in the next few years. And, you know, we think there could be a thousand Chop Daddies around the country. We Mm -hmm. are really building this. uh, The the initial location was built for growth. Um, Everything we do is so that we can open up additional locations quickly. Um, The way we set everything up with systems and processes in place, that's the goal. You know, I have been doing real estate for a long time. I love doing real estate. My pit master, Eric Sultan, he is the brother of one of my very good friends, Chris Sultan. Mm-hmm. And I would go over to Chris's house, and Eric would be barbecuing, and I was like, man, that is some good barbecue. We got to open up a sandwich shop one day. Lo and behold, it happened. Um, it didn't happen by design. It just happened. You know, as you said earlier, um, I believe in luck favors the prepared, but I also like to tell people that I've been very lucky in my career. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I've been lucky. But what it is that I have always been prepared to take advantage of opportunities in front of me. And this opportunity to rent this space came along, and everything just kind of came together. And, you know, fast forward to July of 2013, we have this sandwich shop. Okay. And we are on the verge right now of um, opening up our second location in Culver City. You know, we're pretty excited about what we have going on, and we think there's big things to come in the future for us. That's awesome. So I'm curious because you say you're, you're an entrepreneur first and foremost. One thing I've noticed about many of my past guests is that what makes them successful is their ability to surround themselves with passionate, talented people who have that drive. And really what they are is they're, you know, they're almost venture capitalists, but instead of physical assets they have human assets and it seems like that might be what's going on between you and eric somebody i mean you have the real estate the business background that entrepreneurial know-how and drive and he has that skill and that passion with the food is that kind of what i'm seeing here it is i mean look the reality is that i believe i've got a competitive advantage in the restaurant world just because i'm not a restaurateur a lot of restaurateurs are not business owners so Mm -hmm. you have a lot of small and mom and pop organizations run by people who are passionate about the food which is very important, but they have no idea how to pay their rent on time or how to run a P&L or what their food costs should be. Exactly. Um, I'm passionate about the food. I'm not the one in the kitchen cooking it, but I know what tastes good and what doesn't. Okay. And we're, we're in touch with what our customers want. So what I do is I mesh the business side, which is what I do, with the food side, which is what my pitmaster does, and together we've got a great partnership where we put out a great product and we're also able to put it out at a good food cost and make money. Awesome. Great stuff. So you just briefly mentioned uh, your competitive advantage. I think that's kind of going into the next question, and I would like you to kind of elaborate on that, and that's your it factor. If you could narrow it down to just like a couple things that you think really contributes to your success, not only as somebody in the restaurant industry, but somebody just in general, because you seem like you've had amazing success with your, your real estate background. What are your it factors, John, that really just make you successful? Well, you know, I'd say in the restaurant world, for example, we've been ahead of the trends. Barbecue is one of the fastest growing verticals in the restaurant world right now, especially outside of the South, uh, in L.A., on the West Coast, in the Midwest, there's not a lot of good barbecue. Mm-hmm. It is the fastest growing vertical. We were at the forefront of that. We were at the forefront of fried pickles. We were okay. at the forefront of playing 80s music in our restaurant. You know, now you see a lot of more 80s-themed ideas coming online. We have been fortunate to be ahead of the trend, if you will. So we put out a great product. It's a great environment. Customers come in. They come in with a smile on, a face, on their face. They leave with a full belly, and they feel like they've had a great experience. Everything I do in my restaurant and also in my business world is kind of geared to that. You know, with every interaction I have, how do I give the person in front of me the best possible experience 
So when they leave our interaction, they become what we call raving fans, right? Raving fans are going to go tell as many people they can about the experience they have. It's a small thing. When people come into our restaurant and they buy a sandwich, for example, we put a free cookie in the sandwich. Okay. You would be surprised if you go and you read our Yelp reviews how many people talk about this free cookie. (laughs) And the crazy thing is, you know, with social media in this day and age, you really need to be thinking about these little quirky things you can do to differentiate yourself that people are going to talk about. Exactly. The impetus behind this cookie was how can we get people talking about us in social media, right? How can we get them to market us for free? And this was one of those ideas we came up with. Awesome. I love it. So you, you say that um, you're, you have this ability to kind of uh, be at the forefront of trends. Is it a stretch to say that maybe you don't go chasing trends, but maybe you're trendsetters? Like, I, I've noticed that a lot of people, what makes them successful is they're, they're not out paying attention to the, the trends. They're doing what they do. And if they're really good at what they do, then all of a sudden they are creating the trends. They're, they're just chasing their passions that become the trends. Is that something that you think is happening here? Listen, I think that's fair to say. I, I look at the marketplace. You know, our goal is to have something that's differentiable. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, the, if, you, if I want to go get a hamburger in L.A., there's 20 places I can go and spend $16 on a better burger. Mm-hmm. And all of those places want to tell you that they're different than the next. But how different are they? Mm. And if I want to go get pizza now, there's... Ten different chains who want to grab my fast pizza, better pizza dollar, right? But nobody's doing barbecue. There's a hole in the marketplace. If you wake up in the morning and you want to have a pork belly sandwich like we serve and fried pickles, guess what? you got to come over to Chop Patties. Mm-hmm. My goal is to have stuff on our menu that people can't get everywhere else. It differentiates us. That's part of our competitive advantage. Now, awesome. there will be more barbecue chains coming online, but I think that's fantastic. It builds awareness. You know, a lot of people might look at that as competition, but the market is so unsaturated right now that there's a huge opportunity for, you know, people to bring this food out and do a good job of serving the public. So I'm curious. So uh, we got to dive into like a story now because it's, it's an, not enough just to find out what you think leads to your success, but I really want to make an example of it. So can you think of a specific time where this ability to kind of uh, pay attention to the details and to stay ahead of the competition by just being at the leading edge of trends? I mean, can you think of a, a specific detail where you're able to kind of create that experience that really just separated you from your competition? Well, I think just in general, a lot of people, when they think about the barbecue industry, think about going someplace and sitting down and, you know, you're in a Lucille's or a Dickie's and there's kids screaming everywhere and there's barbecue sauce everywhere and there's bones everywhere. Yeah. And that's an environment a lot of people don't want to go to. It's an environment my fiance doesn't want to go to. Okay. We're creating a different kind of environment. We're creating an environment that is modern. It's clean. It's fast. It's great for lunch. It's great for dinner. So... A lot of it has to do with brand awareness and perception. We don't think of ourselves as a barbecue restaurant. We think of ourselves as a fast, casual, modern, fun place to go that happens to do really good barbecue. And that may seem like we're parsing words and it may seem like semantics, but it really isn't. It's a different way of thinking about who you are and what you do. Mm. You know, we want to be this cool, fun, hip place to go to where you can have amazing food and have a beer and a wine and enjoy yourself with some friends and get in and get out quickly. Mm-hmm. And that really is different than what a lot of people think about traditional barbecue right now. Mm, you know, what really is sticking out to me, and I think you're a great example of this, um, 
too, I think too often, I mean, food, we all know, is a huge contributing factor to the success of a business. But you are really good at focusing on those unique selling propositions, the things that make you different. Like, what can we do in barbecue that no one else is doing? And that sounds like, you know, what happened with Chop Daddies. Am I off by saying that? No, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, really, you know, we were talking to a potential investor a few weeks ago, and he was concerned that we had too many items on the menu. And I said, you know, we really don't have as many as you think. Mm -hmm. We really have five core proteins, if you will, and you take these and you mix and you match, and all of a sudden, you're creating different sandwiches. Mm -hmm. And it may seem like we have all these different sandwiches, but for the guys in the back of the house on the line to put them together is not that much work. Mm Mm-hmm. Awesome. Right, But yeah. what it does, it lets the customer think, wow, there's all these different things available to me, and there really are. Because if I took my smoked brisket, there's so many different sandwiches that we can do. There's so many ideas we have that we don't even put on the menu. You know, so we believe if we go and we, you know, our, our competitive advantage is smoking meat. That's awesome. what we think we do better than most people. When you have our ribs, every time I eat our ribs, they're amazing. I always send Eric a text message after I eat the ribs, and I'm like, good job, man, because it is so hard to do great ribs and every time a customer comes customer comes in and they have the ribs they're like wow those ribs are amazing all right sounds good so you share your time with us like how i mean these it factors you have have really contributed to your success but now i want to kind of extract a story from you where you just fell hard on your ass john and tell us about this failure you had and how you actually fail forward by learning something from this failure well i don't know if i have one particular you know aha moment um, having been, you know, involved in real estate since 2002 and having been an active investor, there's definitely a number of investments I've made that have been very successful. And there's definitely some investments I've made specifically in 05 and 06 and 07 and haven't been successful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always think for me and my best advice for any business person, whenever I go and I do something, I always model what I think is the worst case scenario. And okay. if I can live with the worst case scenario then I'm okay with it. Sometimes when you get into something, the worst-case scenario is something you really can't live with, and you have to ask yourself if you have that appetite for that amount of risk. I try and make sure that there's no one thing that I get involved with that's going to cripple me, if you will, either emotionally or financially. Mm -hmm. So there's no one investment or one endeavor I take on where if it goes completely sideways, I'm out on the street. Okay. You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who put themselves in situations where they're undercapitalized, they're poorly funded. Um, you know, you see a lot of restaurants, for example, that go out of business in the first couple months, and you always say, how in the world can a restaurant open and in three months be out of business? Mm-hmm. And the, the simple answer is, for those of us in the business who understand this, the simple answer is they probably ran over budget on construction. It took longer than they expected, so they burned through more rent than they thought, and they just don't have any money left. And restaurants take three to six months just to get to a break-even. I mean, heck, most people will tell you if you're at break-even in the first nine months, you're doing well. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's the case and you haven't properly funded yourself, you get your dream open and realized, and within three months, you're out of money. Now, I think we all got that great advice that you said to never get into a circumstance that won't cripple you and to um, always you know, try to imagine that worst-case scenario. I mean, is there a worst-case scenario you can think of? I mean, doing some research, I noticed that when you first opened up with your restaurant, I mean, you started off as Belly Up, and this is around 2013, right? And then you went to Pork Bellies, 
then uh, now to the current time in the past year, you're known as uh, Chop Daddies. Was there something that was going on there where uh, as you were evolving as a restaurateur, not that you recognize yourself as a restaurateur, but more of an entrepreneur, that was going on you can share with us? Well, the reason we ended up changing our name is we had some trademark issues. The bigger okay. trademark issue was to switch from pork bellies to Chop Daddies. Um, Hot Belly Sandwich Shop out of Chicago was contesting our trademark. Okay. And you know, it's funny. I'm a big believer that things happen for a reason. Changing our name was expensive. Um, it probably cost about $25,000. It was an unforeseen expense. Mm-hmm. But there really is a big silver lining. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of people who I would interact with, and they, they, I would say, hey, have you come and tried the food yet? And they'd say, you know, I've heard of your place, but I don't eat pork. And, you know, it's, it's funny because you really can't give the general public too much credit. Because they will, they they will stumble over the easiest things. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy to think that because a restaurant's called Pork Bellies, it only serves pork. But people think that yeah. the reality of it is, we want to grow to a thousand unit chain. We can't have our name be the reason people don't even come in the door. So it sucked to change our name to Chop Daddies, but we think it's a way better name. There's so many different things we can riff off of with the name Chop Daddies. We just finalized our trademark for Do It Daddy style. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of cool, irreverent things that fit with our 80s music theme that really work better with Chop Baddies than they would have with Pork Bellies. So at the end of the day, even though it was expensive and a pain in the ass when we went through it, you know, we've come out the other side and, and we're in a better spot. Is there anything you would have done differently knowing what you know now before getting into that situation that you would have changed? You know, on, on the trademark, there isn't because we, we were fully aware of pot bellies. I mean, I work with trademark attorneys. We spent a lot of time going over this. We, we, we took what we thought was a calculated risk, and we didn't think it would be an issue. So it wasn't a surprise. Okay. Um, you know, I think sometimes people ask me, are there things that I would do differently in the restaurant business in general now that I'm almost two years in? And 100% there are. Mm-hmm. There definitely are. Can you give us an example? Do you mind? Well, I mean, probably one of the biggest missteps, if you will, is, you know, our first space that we opened on Abbott Kinney in Venice doesn't have any seating or beer and wine. Okay. It's basically a grab and go. And that limits your customer base. Mm. You know, the prototype for what I want is an 1,800 to 2,000 square foot, you know, beer and wine and 50 to 60 seats, fast, casual environment. And we don't have that on Abbott Kinney. Okay. And I will tell you that, you know, that's probably one of those things, if I let it, it would keep me up at night. Um, I have a saying that I always use with my people. I say we can't go backwards. Yeah. A lot of people carry baggage and negative energy forward with them. You can't, you can't bring it forward. You mm. can't go back and rewrite history. So the best thing we can do is learn from that mm-hmm. and try to do a better job moving forward. Great stuff. All right. So we have a crammed through this first half of the interview and you're doing a great job but we're learning so much it is time for you to drop some restaurants bombs of knowledge on us are you ready let's go we're ready all right the first bomb of knowledge you're going to drop on us has to do with getting that initial capital to start your restaurant so what advice do you have for finding the funds Finding the funds is hard, my man. I mean, I've self-funded my restaurant to this point. Um, the checks I've written, you know, are well above $500,000. Most people can't afford to do that. Uh, I'm fortunate. I made a lot of money in real estate, and I put it into the restaurant world. A lot of people initially start with friends and family, which can mm-hmm. be scary because you don't want to lose their money. Thanksgiving's going to be awkward <laughs> if you do. Yeah, so what, like, do you have any... Uh, advice, or maybe you can think of examples of some other ways people got the money through investing or just raising the capital on their own? I mean, the biggest way that I've heard of and that I know is friends and family. Yeah. You know, we're in the middle of raising capital right now for our second location, and 
you've really got to try and go find investors who have an appetite for the restaurant world. You know, the mm -hmm. restaurant investment, restaurants are typically either a strikeout or a home run. They don't typically hit singles and doubles, okay? So you either have a concept that's going to be a home run or the concept strikes out. You know, it's, it's binary. And yeah. the difficult part about that is that means you're either going to make somebody a lot of money or you're going to lose them all their money. Mm -hmm. Now, so you definitely need to go find investors who have that appetite and also have money that they can invest. And if they don't get back, they're not going to be out on the street. Yeah, and I was uh, doing my research on you, and I I found something that said about, about a year and a half, two years ago, you are working with Advantage, and they were helping you with uh, your scalability and um, you know, looking to get that extra capital. So what were the, some of the things that they helped you with in the early stages of scaling and getting the, your business set up in a way that was be able to be scalable? Well, sure. So you're referring to my partnership with Advantage Restaurant yes, Group. Yes. Um, Adam, Adam Fleischman is one of the principals. who's also uh, one of the founders of Umami Burger and 800 Degrees. You know, our, our partnership with them is great. They help us from an operations and management standpoint. They help us in an advisory capacity. The way that I tell people this, uh, this relationship works, the best way to think about it is they keep us between the rails, okay? They make sure that we don't go off the rails. They make sure that if we, we're doing something crazy, they reel us back in. They have a lot more restaurant experience mm -hmm. than I do, although I have brought in an operating partner who's a 20-year restaurant veteran. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's always important if you're just starting out in the business to surround yourself with the smartest people you can afford. Mm so that you don't make mistakes that could be avoided because that's the costliest thing. And the most annoying thing, too, is making mistakes that could have been avoided that other people can tell you, you know, you shouldn't have done. Mm, awesome. Uh, I, that was incredible advice. I was looking forward to kind of throwing this in there because I think what you did was really smart with you had that great entrepreneurial background. But since this was a new kind of uh, realm for you, with the, the restaurant industry, I think what you did – and surrounding yourself with those people who have the experience, who go in in a partnership, was just incredibly smart of you. And I think we can all learn from what you did there. It's great stuff. So thank you for uh, breaking that down for us. So the next question I have for you, John, what advice do you have for hiring good people? I mean, I'll tell you, the hardest thing in this business is human capital. It mm -hmm. really is. Um, we're hiring people right now, and we are struggling. You know. Um, and, and it's a combination of things. I mean, first of all, the restaurant business is populated by a lot of people who work their ass off, and they get, they're they're underpaid, frankly. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people in the back of the house at most restaurants are making ten to twelve dollars an hour. Mm -hmm. so, and it, it's so so tough to hire good people, and they really are. They're the people who are on the front lines dealing with your customers. You know, I mean, yeah. there's only one of me. They're not going to have my passion. So you're saying you're you're currently struggling with it. What are the things that you're struggling with, and what are you doing to overcome that struggle? Well. I'll tell you, on hiring people, it's been a challenge. Yeah. Um, we have been looking for some good people now for well over a month, and we're struggling. Mm -hmm. um, we really are. The quality of the candidates that come in are poor. The candidates don't follow up. You know, it's funny. You understand why somebody only makes the money they do and they only rise to a certain level in this world, and, and a lot of that's their own fault. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got candidates who respond to Craigslist postings, and then when we call them and email them, they don't respond. I've mm. had candidates who we've talked to and scheduled interviews with, and they just don't show up and don't tell you they're not coming, and they never cancel. You know, and automatically when somebody does that, you don't want them working for you. Yeah. Now, I find that really surprising just because you are an up-and-coming restaurant group, and there seems like there's going to be a lot of 
opportunity in the future with what you guys have planned. Is that something you're con- communicating to potential new hires? Well, you know, it's funny, Eric. You and you and I appreciate that opportunity. Yeah. But that's because individuals like you and I are the ones who are going to create those opportunities. Mm. The people who are hiring, unfortunately, most of them don't think like you and I mm-hmm. do. You know, that's what makes you and I special. And I tell this to my employees all the time. You know, my employees, if they come to work for us, are very lucky in the fact that myself and my operating partner, Michael, are more than willing to spend as much time as they want mentoring them as young men and women. Mm-hmm. And they have access to an owner who actually cares about their future. If they want to take advantage of it. Now, most of them don't take advantage of it, and that's on them. But we're accessible and we're available, and I want to see these people grow. It would be easier to hire from within. It would be easier to promote from within. But I got to tell you, it really is our biggest challenge. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been said, it's just that initial hurdle. Once you get that good foundation of people, that family around you, you can kind of feed off that family because they know good people. And it's just a matter of, putting that positive energy out there and it comes back around to serve you in the long run. But I mean, I guess being a new concept, you guys are still kind of trying to get that solid foundation underneath you. It sounds like, well, listen, you know, I hear from my food reps right now at Cisco and U.S. foods that a lot of restaurants are struggling with hiring. I don't yeah, think it's, it's not you just know, you, specific no. to us. Yeah. That's... I think just the industry in general, you know, a lot of the new jobs being created in the United States right now are these low paying mm-hmm. jobs. And, I don't know how you're supposed to support a family on 10 or 12 or $13 an hour. I mean, it's not realistic, especially, you know, in infill L.A. Mm-hmm. So I struggle with this as an owner. I, I mean, I am very aware of the fact that the wages we pay are not enough for somebody to make a living, but I don't set the market. We're in a free market economy. I can't afford to pay somebody $20 an hour if everybody else is paying them 10 or 11 because now all of a sudden I've got to raise the cost of a sandwich from eight ninety five to ten ninety five, mm. but market's eight ninety five for that sandwich. Yeah. How do I reconcile <laughs> those two things? It's definitely a tough place to be in, man. And um, maybe I'll come back around and, and check in on you guys to see how things are going. Because I'm, it's cool to talk to people while you know you're going through the process right now. I think there's a lot that can be learned from you, and I'm excited to kind of follow up in, in the future. But uh, let's talk about marketing now, John, because I. I can tell you have a marketing mind. Um, you know how to sell, and I want to know what advice you have for us on the topic of marketing. You know, it's funny. People always ask me, you know, what do you do for marketing? And I tell them I pay rent. Mm-hmm. And I, I can say that because our, you know, our Abbey Kinney location, we're on the hottest street in America. We pay a ton of rent. And really what I do for marketing is I pay rent. Now, once I get somebody in the door, how do I convert a first-time customer into a repeat customer? That's through the customer experience. Mm-hmm. Um, our location of Culver City, again, we have, we're have we on the corner of Maine and Maine. It's a beautiful location. We're going to bring in a ton of people just through foot traffic and rent. You know, we have social media accounts. We have Instagram. We have Facebook. I Honestly, it's the bane of my existence. We use Hootsuite to automate a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I, I don't know. I am a true believer that the customer experience and word of mouth goes very far. You know, I think, we've got yeah, great Yelp reviews. The example you gave us is a perfect example of what you can do, I mean, how you can be creative to think of something that's little that you can do just to get people talking about you. And that, that cookie example was awesome. Is there anything else like that that you want to share with us that you've done? Well, listen, we have two um, full-size you know, pig costumes where <laughs> they're, they're big pig costumes. Mm-hmm. And we on busy days, on festivals, we put two of our staff members in there and they walk up and down the street with, you know, a little coupon for a free cook. But 
more importantly than that, people love taking their pictures with these and posting yeah. them on social media, mm. and they have Chop Daddy's logos on them. You know, again, we used to have a, a full life-size cardboard cutout of this pig. You know, it's kind of like our mascot, if you will. And we would put it outside our shop late night, and drunk people would come in, and they'd want to take pictures, and then they'd post them because it's funny. Yeah, it's free marketing, man. It's good stuff. Free marketing. Yeah, I love it. So, all right, you seem like a well-read person. Like, I can tell you have quite a library of books. So what's one book that you say is a must-read for anybody getting into this business, whether it's a personal growth book or maybe an, even an entrepreneurial book, so, uh, you do have that depth there. What's one book you'd recommend or maybe two books? You know, I don't have a specific book that comes to mind. I read Danny Myers, you know, Setting the Table. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Danny Myers is an icon in the restaurant industry. I probably read 10 or 15 restaurant books. I'm a voracious reader, especially when I travel. I have a Kindle now, which is amazing because you can go on vacation and take 20 books with you, and they weigh, you know, five ounces total. I'm very big in the self-improvement. I always want my staff to be reading. I always recommend different books to them. I'm a big fan of Michael Lewis and Malcolm Gladwell. Those are just more general business and world books. Okay. Um, what's um, the, the title of those books? Well, you know, Malcolm Gladwell and Michael Lewis have written a ton of books. Michael Lewis wrote, you know, Liars, Poker, and the Blind Side, and a lot of other books like that. And Malcolm Gladwell wrote Blink and The Tipping Point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, restaurant hospitality books in general, the thing that, you know, I want my staff to read is just about the struggle that other entrepreneurs have gone through and the importance of customer service. Mm-hmm. When you read about successful people in our business, the theme that comes back all the time is the customer experience. Mm -hmm. Is there one book you recommend to them for that purpose? I think they can all start with, you know, Danny Myers setting the table. Okay. Awesome. And, yeah, I couldn't agree more with you about the personal growth books. I mean, really what I've noticed through all these interviews is there is no such thing as great restaurants. There's only great people in restaurants. And that's why this podcast has pivoted to focus on the individual. I want to make examples of people like you to find out what makes you great, what you're doing, what you're reading to be great. And um, I couldn't agree more that I mean, we, you can't read enough of those personal growth help, you know, self-help books. Uh, they really do. I mean, you're surrounding yourself with some of the most incredible minds out there and learning from these incredible people what they've done. So, I mean, it's, just, it's good stuff. I, I agree. I yeah. agree. Awesome. So let's talk about technology. Um, you're going through this actually right now with uh, opening these new restaurants. Is there any new technologies that you've been researching to help maximize productivity, efficiency, and profitability, or just communication in your restaurants, whether the technology is well, you know, front of house or back listen, of house? We, <clears throat> we do a lot of online ordering, so it's important for our online ordering system to integrate into our POS. Surprisingly, most POS systems don't have that capability. Mm-hmm. So... That's a challenge. We're a fast casual restaurant where people come in, they order, they get a number, and then the runners run it to the table. There's a new GPS tracking system which allows the runners to know exactly what table to go to. It costs about 150 bucks a table, and that's something we're looking at putting in our Culver City location. We think that that initial $4,000 investment is going to really improve, one, our efficiency, and two, the customer experience. because. How many times have you been out and you're watching the runners look around for your number and you're not sure if they're looking at you and you're looking at them and this way they're going to know exactly where to go to. It's really going to change in our mind the customer experience when they're sitting there because it's really, look, at the end of the day, most restaurants probably do, you know, 90 to 95% of the things they should do right. Mm -hmm. 
it's that incremental amount that really makes the difference between going into a place and having a good experience and leaving a place and being like, wow, mm. that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It kind of yeah, reminds that wow factor. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, the compounding effect and that slight edge to books that are totally worth reading. They kind of feed off each other. But exactly what you're saying, what's that little thing you can do that other people aren't doing that can help you just get notice just a little bit more it's just those small things that really make the big differences and the service you're talking about you said it's a, a a number is it kind of like a buzzer that goes on the table that is a tie to a gps so you know where the food where that table the food order goes it to? is i think they're using you know rfid technology um, okay. i just read about this recently you know i mean heck there's another small thing there's a company called flat tech they have adjustable tables how many times have you been in a restaurant and the table wobbles and it's annoying as hell? And then you're trying to put a packet of sugar or a napkin <laughs> under your teeth. And, yeah. you know, these are those small things that you don't think about, but really they make a huge difference. Absolutely. And they burn your staff's labor because now in the middle of the lunch hour when you're cranking, one of your staff members has to go fool around with this thing. So these are the small things that cost a little bit more money on your build out, but I think are going to pay much bigger dividends down the road. Awesome. So, yeah. We're, we're excited to put those in place. Great example. So it was Flat Tech. What was that first um, resource you were talking about? What's the name? The GPS trackers. Um, I forget who the company is. I would just Google GPS tracking restaurant and it'll okay. come up. I'll um, try to find that. Flat Tech tables, you know, they, they're great. They, they have adjustable legs on them. And, great. you know, before service, you can make sure all the tables are ready to go. The little things that matter, man. I couldn't agree more. So what is your best business advice John, if you could go back in time to like a few years when you were just starting to venture into the restaurant realm, what one piece of business advice would you give yourself if you could do that? <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. There, there's days when, when I think that I've made a terrible mistake, and there's other days when I'm very excited. The restaurant business never turns off. <laughs> that's probably the thing that's most different from anything else I've been involved with before. My real estate business, I can shut down Friday afternoon and turn back on Monday morning, and it's great to have that downtime, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically. Mm -hmm. Uh, The restaurant business never turns off. You have a ton of employees working for you. As we already discussed, they're not very well paid, so they don't always make the best decisions. Mm -hmm. And if you're a passionate owner like I am and most entrepreneurs are, every little time that you get a customer complaint, it frustrates you. I mean, the best advice I could tell you is this. We probably do an average of 8,000 orders a month. That means we have 8,000 guest interactions. Even if we get 99% of those right, we get 1% wrong. That's still 80 things we do wrong, Mm. which is roughly two and a half a day. Mm -hmm. So every time you get a bad Yelp review, resist the urge to go ballistic, resist the urge to dress your staff down, and use it as a teaching moment Mm. because the reality of it is, they got, you know, the other 300 interactions that they write. They just happen to get that one wrong. Mm-hmm. Awesome advice. And if there was one question I could have asked you, John, to make this interview more powerful, what would it have been? I don't know if I have, you know, one question in mind. What I would say is this. If you're ready to do this, just make sure you've really thought this through. You know, mm-hmm. being a restaurant owner and an entrepreneur it's time-consuming, it takes a lot of energy, and it takes a lot of capital. Make sure you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Make sure you've thought it through, and, and make sure you've talked to some people who are in the business who can you know, help you out. I mean, people who are in the business like myself and other people who have been in the business, we're always happy to talk to people who have new ideas, mm-hmm. okay? Or, you know, go find a mentor. 
They, they, you know, if you're going to do a better burger concept, don't go to Adam Fleischman and Mommy and ask his advice because you're going to be competing with him. Mm-hmm. But go find somebody who you don't compete with but who's in the same space. And I guarantee you'd be surprised at how many people are willing to meet with you and mentor you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that makes people successful in this industry is their desire to help others. So you'd be surprised at how willing these successful people are to lend a helping hand and to, to mentor you. And that's what I found. That's exactly what this podcast is, is going out, asking for advice, and capturing that advice for everyone to kind of uh, feed off of it. So great stuff. And we're going to wrap it up, John. We do that by having you call someone out. Who is one preferably indie restaurant professional you admire and think would make a great addition as a guest mentor on the show? Well, you know, my buddy Kevin, who's one of the guys behind Bottega Louie, he does a great job. And then my other buddy, Anthony Filati, who runs the Corner Door in Culver City, which is a very successful restaurant. Um, Their bartender was just voted bartender of the year. He and I went to business school together years ago. Anthony does an awesome job. He's got a great mind. And, he, you know, he's a really smart guy. Awesome. I will check both those guys out. Look out. I'm coming after you. And uh, tell us how we connect. If there's... Anybody out there who wants to connect with you, uh, maybe come work with you at one of your new concepts that are opening up in the future. Because I know you said you're, you're looking for people. This is your opportunity to let them know how Listen, they can start a Email me. Yeah. Email me, john at chopdaddies.com, J-O-N at chopdaddies.com. Drop me an email. I respond to all my emails. I'm living proof and, of uh, that. let me know what's on your mind. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, cool. If you guys want to check out anything we discuss here today on the show or to find links to how to contact John. I'll have his uh, email in the show notes as well. Go to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash John Swire. All the links will be right there. John, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to join us here as a guest mentor. There's no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you, my man. Be good. Cheers. Another episode crushed here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you so much, John, for coming on the show, man. You killed it. If you guys enjoyed this episode and you want more guest mentors just like John, shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I will do everything humanly possible to get that suggestion, that recommendation here as a guest on the show and uh don't forget guys head over to restaurant unstoppable slash books and restaurant unstoppable slash tools to find a complete list of all the books and tools my past guests say they have read and use that you can check out today the links are all there it's a way to funnel all that information right to you so you know what works uh it's all objective and it's all right there for you to dive into so get on it all right guys that's all i have for you today i hope you enjoyed it until next time peace out